0: Came and preached in Moscow. Yeah, so. I was going
1: to tell you, I was going to ask you, how did that go?
0: I think it went well. Yeah. It was, it, it was, uh, I mean, everybody's always so nice. Yeah. Nobody would ever say, like, that was terrible because everybody's well, friendly and nice and stuff. It, it, and, it,
1: <laughs> it makes it hard for you to be able to judge, like, was it good or not?
0: I, was I, it good? Yeah. But, and I, and I wasn't, I mean, I was just preaching on, um, when Moses and Aaron show up before the uh, Pharaoh yeah. with the staff and how it's, it's how it's kicking off God's rescue mission of his people. Yeah. Um, and so just talking through the, you know, the, here's the, here's the beginning of the rescue mission and, um, and uh, how that, and then the parallels to Jesus. So it's not, I mean, I wasn't, hopefully it was an encouraging sermon. But it wasn't one of those ones where you're like, oh, I learned a whole bunch of new stuff. It was the gospel.
1: Yes, that's kind of what it's comes
0: supposed to be. comes at you fast from anywhere in the Bible.
1: So hold on. Because okay. The- so Moses and Aaron beginning of the rescue mission, and how is that connected to Jesus? Yeah. Okay. No, no. How?
0: Oh, how is that okay? <laughs> well, you can't just say um, stuff like so, that and like not yeah,
1: finish it. I like. I want to know how well, you
0: connect that. So, well, there's the overarching thing where the the Israelites got them, or the Hebrews is what they were called at the time. They became the Israelites once they got to Israel. The Hebrews um, were God's people, but they got themselves into slavery. Right? Their own sin got them into slavery. So they they it. it Tells us that they oh, yeah. began to worship the idols of Egypt, right? Oh, so really? Where's that, that,
1: wait, wait, where is that at? That's interesting. Um, I've always thought that there was a pharaoh that came that didn't, that didn't know. Yeah, there's Joseph. a pharaoh that comes
0: that, that doesn't know Joseph, right. but it also tells us that they began to worship the idols of Egypt.
1: Um. Oh, funny.
0: Right. So, so they would. I don't think they would have ended up slaves, even with an unbelieving. Um pharaoh if they hadn't have also begun to worship the idols of egypt so um
1: Uh so
0: and you can see that when they get when they go to leave they don't really want to leave also right their hearts have really settled into egypt uh so so uh, then and and i there's some of that's a natural thing you know that we the god invented us to be in a place and so we we make it you know goshen was a nice place Yeah, it was a choice
1: of places of Egypt. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's compared, it says it was beautiful like the Garden of Eden, right? The Goshen was the Edenic aspect. So that's which is cool because Genesis, that means it starts in Eden and it ends in Eden, right? That Genesis itself has an arc, a story arc to it. Um, And uh, then you have, which is why I think it makes sense to when you're writing a movie to start and end with the same image, but with, to show how things have changed, developed back in the same spot or doing the same thing, but now they're different. And so you can tell, um, the, so the people of God are in this slavery because of their own sin. And, um, but God sends Moses, to come get them. And first Moses goes through the 40 years that he's going to, uh, in the wilderness that he's going to then lead the people through. Right. So we talked about, little- but mostly, we talked about how um, once that got it was God's idea, it was God's initiative, and it was God's plan. And then God was the one who accomplished the rescue mission. Um, and so He He sends them in, and He gives them two things. He gives them, "Say my words," and this staff is going to do signs and wonders. Um, and so He Jesus Jesus also comes in and does. And uses God's word as the main tool to, to rescue us um, along with the cross. Right. So, um, and then we talked about how, um, how God takes the staff and turns it into a charged object, um, which is a screen teller, a screenwriter's term for um, you making something more uh, than it is on its own through the story that it goes through and how the the staff begins by turning into what's a tannin in in Hebrew which could mean we it's translated serpent because it could be it could be a snake it could be a sea serpent or it could be a dragon those uh. are the three things that that word means um and how the this staff um that if you know that I would name it the uh d- the uh devourer of dragons you know because the first thing it does is eat all the other dragons that the magicians put down um but then that staff does all sorts of things right that staff um is is what aaron waves over the red uh the water to turn it to blood the staff um he he parts the red sea with it he does all the plagues he he um he got himself kicked out the the promised land yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. The, the the rock um that brings water forth um it's the staff that moses holds up um when they're in that war and and the as long as his arms are held up um it's not the same staff that they put the bronze dragon on when or the bronze serpent on that was the same word yeah it's not the same staff but it's the the, that word the staff is used for that as well so that is compared to the staff of of uh moses um aaron uses it but it Looks like in the text, Moses hands him his staff, and then Aaron uses the staff for all of the things. And then, but, uh, and then, uh, so then, as a charged object, when that staff, whenever that staff comes up, we know that God's, that God's, re- it's a, an important part of God's rescue mission. Um, and so, uh, when Jesus shows up, and then the cross becomes the central thing that he does, it should remind us back to um, the way that God has rescued us with a piece of wood before, you know, that, that sort of thing. So, um, and then how that is a, um, that, that, uh, that should encourage us that when Jesus comes to rescue the rest of the world, right. You know, he's, he is the Moses for the rest of humanity. Um, that, uh, that the same God who came when it wasn't, when it didn't, he didn't wait till the Hebrews got it together. In fact, they tried to, the, the reason Moses went into the wilderness, you know, the reason Moses had to go through a death and resurrection was because the people rejected him. Jesus, Jesus was rejected. Um, Oh, and his first miracle was turning water into wine versus water into blood. And you know, some of that, the, those play the plagues as well. I'm a, a little out of order, but then yeah. uh, Jesus. Uh, So, so then when we approach the Lord in, in, through Christ, we can know that because it was his idea to save us, because it was his, uh, that he was the one who initiated it. And because he was the one who planned it and he was the one that, that accomplished it, that we can approach, uh, him for the, the, uh, the freedom. And we don't have to, you know, we, it, it can be a, a slavery, even that we got ourselves into, we can approach him for the freedom, um, that we were, intended to have by God. Um, and then we talked a little bit about how in the Christian life, each one of us is kind of a Pharaoh over our own lives, um, because of continuing to choose slavery, the slavery of sin and continuing to choose death and, you know, choosing shackles and shining our shackles and bragging about our shackles and you carrying around our chains and waving them around and, um, and how, uh, the that we need to hear the word that moses spoke here let my people go and walk away from our sin and walk away from our slavery walk away because it's it's available the freedom is available but we go back to our chains throughout our lives
1: do you think that
0: choosing sin so it's not complex um theological stuff just reminders from the text
1: it's actually really good man I was going to ask you, do you think that, um, if I lose you here, I'll start this back, but um, do you think that, just listening, it seems like, um, I mean, we know there's no neutrality, but we live in this particular situation where it's like, I don't think we understand this either um, judgment or it's either blessing, right? You don't live in this kind of, well, you're in between the two. And idolatry inescapably brings you into slavery. Like you you can't avoid yeah. that. And it's a lot of times I've, I've always thought, and I don't think I should separate these two, but I've always thought for whatever reason that um, going into idolatry, then God's going to come and judge you for going into idolatry. But there's actual reality that going into idolatry and being idolatrous in and of itself is its own judgment. Like you can't. Yeah. And yeah. so, yes, you can, but that's just how the world is made up. And you can incur more judgment from the Lord on top of that, right? Because a lot of times when you go into idolatry, the fruits of that are not necessarily manifested immediately, right? It'll take time for all the fruits of idolatry to manifest itself in a community and in a family and so on and so forth. But when you stepped over into—it's like my kids. When they disobey and they go into their own sorts of world to act like they're going to be God— they immediately are in a place of like you're you're in judgment right now, and now it's not all exercised like you're gonna have to meet you know. But there's nothing safe about the environment you're in,
0: right? Yeah, you know? and I, I I think that when you when you look back, even on the American experiment, the the step before idolatry is thanklessness. Yes. Yes. And when you look back at all of the attempts to to call blessings neutrality right to mm. call blessings neutral As liberalism, or
1: random or just pure random oh, yeah. yeah
0: random and uh, anything any ways it's really ways to refuse to say thank you for blessings right you know you you go through you or you want to say like well what what is it that made america uh great well it was our neutral stance on religion populism you know, <laughs> yeah populism yeah. you know, whatever it is um i i mean that faith has works a, a that accompany it right that's pretty normal right if if your faith doesn't ever if your faith isn't alive if your faith isn't um doesn't start to obey then it's not real faith right we know that but uh so you could say well here's there is there are blessings embedded in obedience, but obedience, you always have to say thank you for, right? There isn't any obedience that you don't have to say thank you for. Cause it's the obedience is a gift because we come from because of where we all begin, right? We all begin uh, enemies of God and then are rescued. What's what I find really fascinating is when you, when people start to say, can't we just get back to neutrality? I uh, <laughs> you there mean really how we got wasn't. Judgment? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I was like, what? "Look, the the idol before the, the the idol. This idol didn't used to require the sacrificing of our children. We used to just have to bring mangoes. Can we just get back to the mangoes? <laughs> like, no. The problem is the idolatry, but the thanklessness that precedes idolatry is the. Um, I think is the the turning point that the church hasn't repented of or, or acknowledged. We like to still, still still tell the same story where um we figured out how to make a prosperous nation and then we turned our, into idolatry after that. But the reality is we didn't figure it out. God bless us with a a prosperous nation and and we just didn't like saying thank you for it. Um it's fun. I, we I, didn't train. We didn't train. We didn't train up the next generations to say thank you for it. Even some of the generations that were thankful. Isn't that rooted, didn't insist that their kids also be thankful.
1: Isn't that rooted in worship? Um, like the lack of thankfulness is a display of what type of liturgy is coming out of your church, isn't it?
0: You know. W- well, it's you. You could have a perfect liturgy and not have the thankfulness in your heart, and so the and. But the litur- the liturgy will degrade, mm. right? So um, I'm not thinking know, of I'm not
1: thinking of formatics. I'm actually thinking about the, you know, I know that you can do all the right things and still be wrong, right? Okay, I'm, I, I'm, I get that. That's a form of of work righteousness, right? Yeah, like, right. Um, where or um, you're trying to gain it, but there's also the point a, a form that our our I guess what I mean is our liturgy actually leads us to act in a particular way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you, I mean, I can see this in in our generations. It's harder when you look back because if you to get honest assessments of what it was like in church at different eras is actually really hard. Um, mm. The uh, you know, and because I've talked to folks that uh, I mean, I remember in when I was a brand new Christian and talking to some of the older folks that remembered you know worshiping god in the in the 30s and the 40s you know that and just talking about how they loved the hymns from that era and why don't we sing them anymore and you know those hymns were really you know helpful for my faith and and then you look at the hymns and and you think well the reason we don't sing them is they weren't good I mean, they got sifted by history, but those, the experience of those hymns by people at the time when they were new, where um, they were very moved by those hymns. And you're so, um, it's, it's hard to, you know, so that, so if you can get first, first hand accounts to talk to older people and talk to the elders in your church and what was it like, then you can find out what church used to be like. But when people go to write it down, most of the time they're either, um, they're mad at God. And so they're like, here's what the church is like, in my mm, era. Right. Mm. Uh, and you, you know, by but looking online, how untrustworthy people are. Well, to give true accounts.
1: Well, that, well I mean, even that is um, a lack of thankfulness in that, you know, this is mm-hmm. uh, one. Uh, it's, this is interesting, but I, you know, I was in Arizona for a couple of weeks and had a chance to hear Dr. White preach on Sunday morning. And one of the things that he pointed out was that thankfulness is part of the essential act of a Christian um, in his lifestyle. So, because he's supposed to be a worshiper, right? And so he goes to, I right. believe it's Revelations chapter four and like seven or nine or something like that, and shows that what's happening before the throne, something that we don't really grasp, is that honor is being displayed by these angels, glory is being displayed, and then thanksgiving. Is happening at the same time. Now, we will do—we will think about and meditate on the first two and then kind of, like, tackle on Thanksgiving like it's just a—like, you know, that's just in the caboose or whatever. But it's actually at the front line of honor and glory, right? It's like honor, glory, right. and thanksgiving our, our trifecta. Uh, are trifecta. What do they call the Trinitarian of uh, cooking is— um celery, onions, and green peppers or something like that. Like or okay. carrots. Carrots. They call that the trinity. the trinity of cooking is carrots, onions, and um, and uh what did I say? Celery. Like that's that's celery. The tr- Right, right. And if you're gonna cook anything good that has any flavor in it, you better have those three, you know, you're cooking meats and something like that. Yeah. And that's the same thing. See, way. I thought
0: it was I thought it was buttercream and uh salt, but yeah. That, I mean
1: those those that's a nut yes, yes. <laughs> that, that's there too. Well You put that in with the celery.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, That's that's like the foundation. It's It's, the foundation.
1: But, you know, it's funny, but Thanksgiving really is a – like that's one of the things we don't – so easy it is for us to not be thankful for, you know, the day that God's already prepared for us. Like he is in history past organized the very day that we're in right now and has designed it for our good to sanctify us, to bring us closer uh, to him and to make us look like his son. And then the things happen in the day and we're so ungrateful <laughs> for the
0: day. Right. Yeah. Well, the same way and and we talked about this a bunch when we were talking about Dante, but the same way that sins have embedded within them the beginning of the punishment for them. Yes. Right. Yes, yeah, what we were just talking about. Itself has in the same way doing the right thing has the beginning of the blessing right thankfulness mm. has a way of pulling us into our own lives right it pulling us into the moment pulling us into the experience of good things right thankfulness Man. does that and it's so crazy. easy to to sit in the balcony of our lives and sort of watch ourselves live and not really experience it in the modern world as modern people that's um,
1: that's exactly the thing that bothers me about the anti-christian nationalist dudes like it just absolutely burns me up. And I'm not I guess I need to say this, but everybody knows that I'm not like on the um flying my Christian nationalist flag. But when I look up and I see a lot of the guys who are opposed acting as if being thankful, um, being faithful doesn't have blessing in it, as if it's right. as if God has given some like, Hey, you just need to do this because I said so. Not that it actually yeah. comes with blessing. It's like you haven't read Deuteronomy, have you? <laughs> like there is like there's there com there is inherent in it blessing and they're not just spiritual ones that you don't get a chance to touch. Like the charismatic environment has seared our sensibilities of scripture as and so we're afraid to act like God will actually do things in this world, tangible things, um, because we're obedient to him. And that just drives me insane because how am I supposed to tell my kids to obey their parents? If there's and, and act as if there's no blessing that God gave to them <laughs> because they do uh,
0: I think there's a Trinitarian error underneath it all too because if you think that for example if if you think that God is primarily power right that God is not pri- is not primarily a community of love. Um, those things aren't set off against each other but that 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 you've got um something you've got f- a multiplicity of fundamentals I guess it was what you'd say right all of God's attributes are fundamental you don't have certain attributes that are more fundamental than others if you've got um but we do have a tendency like mm. Islam um to forget mm. the triune uh you know the economic trinity um and act as if that's not a fundamental as as if there are some um some attributes of god are more fundamental than other attributes yeah we do that that the ontological attributes of god are more fundamental than the economic attributes of god right but they're not right all of the attributes of god are fundamental and the whole i mean I, i do think holiness is a sum of all of them but um or is all of them together so uh but the economic trinity has um has the the uh has love and the giving of the the giving of blessings the the um the receiving of commands and the obedience you know of jesus when he says i come not to do my will but the will of the father right he's it's um uh, if we can't if we can't figure out how that fits in to God's nature, then we need to spend, because um, receiving, receiving, Hey, uh, I want you to do this, receiving that joyfully and doing it, and then receiving the blessing for doing it and returning thankfulness and then returning uh, a gift as well. You know, the, the giving and, uh, and the giving and the receiving aspects of the tri- triune god those are just as fundamental mm. um, the economic i guess the, the economic trinity is not less fundamental um it's just as fundamental and as soon as you start to say no that the economic trinity that's an add-on that comes later you know, an add-on that comes with creation or something like that you're you're going to to slip into so we just have to do what we're told because submission in and of itself is a good thing and I'm not going to receive anything from it. Um, you, which is Islam, right? Islam means submission. And it's a non Trinitarian view of God that love is something that, uh, because he, because he wanted to, because God wanted to add love to his uh, attributes he created, right? That's, um, an Islamic, um, an Islamic understanding of love. it's not fundamental. um the giving and the receiving of gifts is not a fundamental thing that God had did before creation. so mm. um, I think when we or we
1: go full gnostic, get away yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and you end you do you end up becoming gnostic because the um all of the things that were added on in creation are things that you need to escape to get back to fundamental reality, right mm. so if if the giving and receiving um, of gifts or the giving and receiving of, uh, of honor, um, the uh, of obedience, you know, if any of those things are add ons, uh, then you will start to think those are things you need to escape or get beyond, right. Or that they're temporary. Right. But obedience to God is not temporary. We're going to obey forever and ever and ever. And it's going to get more and more glorious the longer we do it. Um, You know, the, 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 and, and this is, you know, sometimes you get, I mean, the way you get it, some of these arguments can be difficult, but I think it is, um, I think they are important. Yeah. Um, you know, but do do you, do you know what I mean? When you, that you that our tendency is to act like the economic Trinity is less fundamental.
1: I think I understand that. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of that happen right now where, um, well, I I guess just in the conversation we were just talking about how people are acting as if there isn't a reciprocal reality to obedience, Uh, you know, and, and, and just as you were talking, I was thinking about this too, is the fact that people, um, uh, People, think, people are afraid of boasting in themselves because of their obedience, as if they yeah. are the ones who generated obedience in themselves, right. <laughs> which is like, that's a massive problem. Because if you find yourself obeying, if you understand or have a Calvinistic understanding of Scripture, right, a biblical understanding of Scripture, you're going to say, but this wasn't my idea, right? right? This is the Spirit's work in me to obey, and I am joyfully Accepting, (laughs) showing thankfulness for the Spirit's work in me, so I obey, and then guess what? I get more obedience, and then I get more blessing, and and so there is a. um, And and I think that's what you were getting at too, about the economic realities that there is something going on in the Trinity even before um, creation that there's there's a there's a there's a benefit there's a um, what is it something else that's uh, happening in the reality of the obedience of each other in the Trinity, right? Right. Um, there's a, v- there's I v- I don't know what to call it.
0: Yeah. I think what, and this is where it gets a little tough. Cause you've got to, cause we, we're trying to describe eternal realities with temporal language, right? <laughs> we, um, cause I, because in order to reflect the eternal nature of God, the human race needed needs thousands of years together, right? So, um, in any particular moment, I I am the image of God. You are the image of God. Our family is the image of God. Right? That the the the, uh, the civic realm is is an imago day, right? It, at any particular moment, they are. But also because we are limited creatures trying to reflect an uh, unlimited or eternal creature e- eternal beings not creatures um because god isn't a thing right uh, the we it takes us a lifetime of active activity to that together as a historical creature to the lifetime of activity together is the reflection, right? So it's not just the momentary. Um, mm. it's the, it is our life as a whole, um, is a reflection of the image of God because we're reflecting something that isn't, uh, that, that isn't limited by time, but is, you know, um, we have to use time to, t- as the, uh, artistic medium of reflection, I guess you'd, it something like that um so (coughs) if that is the case um then when we go to describe the trinity we're dealing with analogies um that are always going to have run into limitations so but the it it has hasn't kept god from communicating to us that way and so he, I, I, it seems like he's giving us permission to try and joyfully, under, you know, try to understand him through discussion and language use, and poetry, and storytelling, and music, and um, and, and uh, theological debate, and you know, all of the arts um, are are can be used properly to Deployed, try and understand yeah. who God is we're trying to communicate what we've experienced of God to others as well.
1: Okay, you got to help me understand why we're not talking about marriage today like we were supposed to be talking about marriage. <laughs> Cuz somewhere in the middle of let's like, hey, let's talk about marriage. You like flip script and you're like we're not talking about marriage.
0: You, yeah, we're talking about marriage, Girard. What? Um I just I it's the um there's been it's been a weird Thing to watch, and some of this maybe it's always like this, and I just don't go on the internet very often. But I went on Twitter a few times, and it was like there's this reformed meltdown happening right now. And any direction you look, everybody's fighting with everybody. Um, you mean just
1: meltdown, period, political meltdown, relationship, meltdown, meltdown, yeah, th- mean,
0: everything. So, uh, everything everywhere
1: all is all at once <laughs> reaching the
0: fever pitch of meltdown, yeah. Um, and you know i i saw like here's a good example that i think we can all agree on but where where somebody said uh man i just i just saw i just saw the new i think it was the new godzilla movie which i did see which was good by the way (laughs) but i just saw the new godzilla movie and what a great movie um everybody should see it i think something we can something we can finally all agree on is that the godzilla movie is great right somebody and a bunch of people said yeah but you like it for the wrong reasons right on the one hand um <laughs> because it was a conservative guy saying it so all the liberals were like you're not allowed to like it this is our movie And he was like, "Well, no, but it was a good movie. We should all be able to like it." And everybody was freaking out. And then somebody pipes in and says, "How can you even be going to the movies in the middle of a genocide? What's wrong with you people? I just sit at home and cry." And and it just stopped. The whole conversation. conversation? It's a real conversation. I watched on. I was what I was reading on Twitter. Okay. And. Um, and it just and it completely stopped because nobody wants to say well i don't care about your genocide yeah you know who's yeah. what's you know and, and tears, but, are, and tears uh, are
1: like a full authority like if you start crying it's like you won it's like right. so you can't be the one to be like yeah. stop
0: it yeah. so the the um so it's this strange and 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 i was thinking what is going on that we can't even agree like so we that we don't we can't even let somebody that we disagree with in some area enjoy a movie that we enjoyed because that makes us feel too close to them. And we have to, and, and we're, so we're in this war of everyone against everyone Um that, and so I, I was like, dude, we got to talk about Rene Girard because I think he's the only one that, that Um that makes sense of this knows how to make sense of what what is going on this all against all um situation so yeah
1: Uh, what so then what is it um maybe i'm seeing this from the other side which is when i went on social media i'm seeing guys who are christian nationalists guys who are theonomists, who um hate christian nationalists and christian nationalists who hate the G3 guys and the G3 guys who hate theonomists and Christian nationalists. And then I'm seeing the guys over here who are um, typical Republican conservatives who hate everybody. Uh, and the liberals who pretty much hate everybody apart from the right, uh, everybody on the right and the right. who. I mean, you see everybody. Right. And then they all are getting together and are celebrating and crying over the Chevy ad. <laughs> yes, that was a that was a
0: really good ad.
1: And <laughs> yeah, and I I stopped for a minute and looked and said, wait a second, everybody, because it wasn't just that they were all crying over it and, and really enjoyed it; it was that they all shared it and they all said almost the exact same thing about it, as if they all wanted the exact same thing that that ad did. And right, and and I'm looking and I'm saying, you guys. All really act like on social media you hate each other.
0: You don't want to agree you, on anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you're all the same. Right. Boom. Yeah, and and I think it's because they all the it it, it, it rang the bell on the thing that everyone has lost. Mm. Right? If there isn't the, the the gener the generation gap, the family the a family that everyone shows up for christmas there's no fighting there's no politics they all show up because they're excited to be together um and they're all sad that grandma is beginning to forget and um uh and they all wish they could do something and the granddaughter figures it out and mm. it happens to also be the most american of all things the the america of the americas the american of the americans of all things small town chevy truck uh mm. and remembering what it used to be like turns out to be the thing that rescues right it's a I, it's it's one of those ads where you're like I wish I wrote that ad <laughs> as a writer i know that's totally that's you're not, you're not supposed to say that stuff out loud but i read i watched that ad and was like oh i wish i would have wrote that ad that's so good it's so beautiful um but it was he because it was exactly the thing that everybody thinks is not possible anymore right and that's what everybody cries is because we there was a time when something like that was possible i mean i'm i i know there's not i i'm I am spoiled and that when my family gets together and we have a really good time. Mike's and family gets together and, and we don't all agree on politics, we don't all agree on religion, we don't all agree on on economics and we have reasonable rational conversations. Um you know my brother and I sat up into the night and we talked about um that you know he's about as far left as I am right and we sat up into the night um you know drinking beer and talking economic economic theory and um and it was really fun and pleasant and we you know um that but that's rare I, I know that it it's that I'm spoiled and that I don't not that I look forward to Thanksgiving with my family um because it's there's so much contention right now um and so much rivalry right now that everybody um everybody feels like if somebody and I think it's and I think there's a gnostic um cosmology underneath it that also turns us into rivals with one another that if you that you have that you have to be able to av- resist to be able to get out of this situation but but renee gerard i think gives us a lot of the 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 lenses to see what's going on and um points us in the right direction to a solution although he doesn't spend n- nearly as much time on the solution as he does on documenting and the mechanisms uh, the, the that uh cause this sort of thing so.
1: okay so it's funny because I think you can hear what you how you set this up talking about everybody's fighting with each other right and um over something really simple and basic to one allow each other to enjoy it and then how I set this up where I'm like everybody's a green who who hates each other on this one thing and it can sound like that those two things are absolutely separate but they're actually not and René Girard no. is hitting on why that exists. So then what is he what is what is the what is his point? How does it how do you have yeah. those two things happening at the same time?
0: So he calls it mimetic theory. Mimetic theory. And he um and what it is is that uh what is what his theory is is that our the the way that we as human beings develop our desires is by miming imitating the desires of our neighbors right so uh, the people around us we see what they want and then we want it because it's desirable right so our desires grow out of the desirability that w- that we see um and so uh you know he uses um the the image you know there's a lot of studies on the way babies imitate right so as they grow they imitate what they see um so but uh then he just says, and but you know he was one of the interesting examples he uses too is um he's he talks about uh some friends uh of his 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 and his, his he and his wife have had these friends that the um that their marriage had gone cold and it had been cold for years and the husband didn't really want the wife anymore and um the and they just were fighting all the time and then this Guy comes in and and tries to he, he seduce this guy's wife, and all of a sudden he wants her again. <laughs> mm. so he saw somebody else desire her, and her desirability suddenly was restored um, within him, right? And, and he he said that makes no sense unless our desire in an individualistic framework where a desire where our desires are the fruit of our uh, of our rash of our reason it makes no sense to say that this guy's desire was restored by the desirability uh that he saw of his wife through this other person wanting and so he and he, he said on a on a grand scale that's how it all works uh, and so the uh his, so mimetic theory is the beginning of it where the it is uh, how our desires how we decide what's desirable is always a communal act right a community decides what's desirable and then we as individuals go along with it right that and there's no other way to uh to grow desires um in the normal the normal way things that work things work so the, and all of this is assuming without jesus because once jesus enters the fray he, it it changes everything so as i'm describing it he's talking about without jesus here's how the world works um it's very much an ecclesiastes type of argument um as long as jesus is left out of the mix this is how it works um so does the development of desire is a communal uh a a communal act and then um, our individual desires partake in the communal desire and um and I think when you know, when you read him and read his examples and read, I, I think there's there's no way to not say at least this is a major part of where our desires come from, right? We learn what's desirable by looking at our parents. We get a new set of friends, and we what shifts is our desires. We just start to desire what our friends want, right? So our experience of it is is very true, and and part of the reason he's trying to help us see it is so that we can resist when it's a bad thing um but he says it's 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 really a neutral mechanism um when you're around people that want the right things it actually helps you want the right things when uh when you're in a community of people that want that desire the desire things that are true and good and beautiful then your desires will shift by spending time with them and seeing them desire it um you know that the um When you meet somebody that says, "Man, I love opera," and you think, "Well, I don't really love opera," and then you see them start talk about, "Man, I love this opera in this way, and because it does this," and you start to say, "Well, maybe I should like opera." Right? This is not because you're hearing the opera, but because you're seeing somebody else love the opera. You start to think maybe I should want it.
1: As you're talking about this. And, you know, I had a little bit of this conversation unintentionally with um, Reese on Friday. But as you're talking about this, this, this—and we talked about this last week. I didn't didn't see this connection until just now. This is what priests do. This is the inescapable reality Mm -hmm. of priests, that priests take things and make them beautiful to the point that people want to desire those things. Right? Right. Like, this is an inescapable reality of priesthood. So then this desire is something that— priests do to point to the right places
0: right well so so when we get to the we we get to his am i jumping did i just jump discussion of leadership no that's exactly but that's exactly his discussion his explanation of leadership um is the one who can set the desires for the community Mm. right a good leader sets the right desires for a community um so his desire so um and then a bad leader is the one that throws the first stone so that everybody else has permission to do the violence right so like he he, uh. he, 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 he so the um but <clears throat> so the mimetic desire is the begin is the beginning of it that's where desires come from and then living in a a, a limited co- an, a cosmology of limited uh resources is the second part of it
1: okay wait 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 before you get so when you say the the first place the mimetic the uh desire comes from is Someone setting out the map for what is beautiful. The people want to imitate that.
0: Right. So okay. they want to, they can Im- imitate the desire. Imitate right. the desire
1: of the wanting for the thing or just.
0: Of, of all, all of our, so all desires work this way. So um if let's say you, you, um, you meet somebody that's been married 50 years. Yeah. And they, and they still love each other and they, and they start talking and you say, well, tell us how you got married. And they tell a cute love story of how they met. And and then they say, man, in 50 years, it's been, there's been ups and downs. It's been hard, but, but we, we love each other and I wouldn't want it any other way. And all of the, all of the couples look at each other and they say, I want that so much. Do you want that? We want, you know, right. And you're, you're encouraged to when something hard you say, but remember how much they loved each other. Remember, that remember their, years. Yeah. how much they desired each other after fifty years. That's our goal, and we have the same desire, and that so a happy marriage is available uh, to all because it's not a limited quantity.
1: Okay, so how it's, does that turn into violence? Then how does how does if that's well, you go go ahead?
0: So, but if somebody shows up and they say, "Look at my." look at this new Porsche that I have. There's only a hundred in the world and I've got one and there aren't any for sale anywhere. I bought the last one that's for sale and all of the guys are, from the neighborhood are sitting around and they're looking at it. Like I want that Porsche, but there's a limited amount, right? That, I uh, the, uh, his, but it's his property, right? I I don't have if I I don't have permission to want it. And, I mean that's literally the 10th commandment. I don't have permission to want that Porsche. God has told me that desire is wrong. To want your neighbor's car is wrong. It's uh and it, he uh Gerard calls the 10th commandment the the uh the greatest disruptor of uh the greatest disruptor of mimetic violence. Until Jesus came, right? The tenth commandment is God trying to disrupt mimetic violence because if you're not allowed to want your neighbor's Porsche, you're not allowed to go kill him to get it. So right?
1: is this just about the object itself or the desire for the object? Because let's say that the uh, desire. Okay, so then if my neighbor um has that Porsche and I want that Porsche and what I do is go out and, you know, get a Porsche like that one so I can have that too. That's just as bad as trying to get the na- the Porsche from my neighbor or no?
0: No, he, he's, he said, that he actually says that's the right use of mimetic mm. desire. He calls that the competitive, the, the competition, no, he calls it uh, the social competition is a good thing, right? So wow. the social competition, it, he compares it to people on a, um, sailors working together on a ship, right? Where he says, when you've got um, two of them that are, and it's their job to get to the top of the mast and bring down the the sails. That when they look at each other and they race to the top, that social competition is actually a benefit to the whole society mm. because uh, you know they they want to get to the top and they're like, hey, I did it better this time, and they're like, I'll get you next time, right? So they get better and better at their particular jobs um, when the when they're competing for something that is uh, available to all. But when you want something that only one person can have and you don't have the ability to disrupt your desire because your, your mimetic desire, when they're, when it's a, a something of limited quantity, then it turns to violence.
1: So is this what's inherent inside of some of the racial conversations as well? Because yep. some of the... So, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so you see this all the time when it's like... Um, I mean, this this was a big part of how... The, the um, racial violence was stoked um, by the communists in the early part of the 1900s when they said, have you noticed that the blacks are taking your jobs, right, in the white communities? And then they'd go into the black communities and they'd say, have you noticed how the whites keep you out of those jobs, right? And so they stoked the, um, the, the racial tension and up to – until it became violence by – acting like there's a limited amount of work and if he's got it, then you don't. So part right? and socialism at base has a cosmology of limited resources.
1: That's really good. So part of part of what's inside of uh the, the narrative is that that we're hearing in our current culture, and you hear it everywhere, particularly climate change is helping bring that in. There are a limited amount of resources and we have to make sure to be able to control it uh so that Everybody can get it because we can't have one person getting more than any other. And so that's that. And that's that's even how we're taxing now. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, As if the ability and even people's gifts are becoming a part of that. That form of jealousy where somebody who's gifted at something. I've seen this so much now. Haters come out the woodwork and want to destroy that person's ability to be gifted Um, And do what they do um, because they feel like that's not available to anybody else. It's not available to them. And so the best way to get at what they want, which is the notoriety, the fame is to tear that person all the way down and act as if they have no gift and there's nothing special about them or they're really wrong on some area. You know, I've I've seen that all the way in, in the industry, music industry, filmmaking industry. It's amazing. I've seen it in Christendom where, You know where you know ministries do this to each other. You know it's been crazy to
0: watch. It and it is a you know we're we're told to rejoice in one another's victories, right? As Christians, we're to we're when a Christian other another Christian has a victory, we're told to rejoice. Um, And I know I feel it in myself how that's hard sometimes because you feel like why'd they get it and not me they right. why as are as they getting
1: theologies in? i get <laughs> i know stuff man
0: but yeah um and uh you know and i still get frustrated because you know i had a i was pitching an oregon trail show around um 18 months before the what's the eighteen forty eighteen forty eight 1848 that show launched and i was like oh i was pitching an oregon trail show wow now Somebody else got it. And I was, you know, I get frustrated and I know that there's a, that that's a, um, a mimetic desire that, ha- um, I, why, why is it that I want my show made? Well, because I think that it's, it's going to bring some sort of satisfaction. Um, and that that is a, that that satisfaction is limited and they got it, which means I, I've got let there's, there's less left for me now. I know that's not true, but I still react that way because of the fundamental brokenness of the communal life that I'm a part of right so and that's the, it, that it happens in churches it happens in um in uh you s- broader societies it happens in subgroups it happens in tribes it happens in uh, all sorts of things where uh he, they that you start to think well there's a limited amount and I'm not getting mine and so the uh, – and what he says is um, it as it builds, it becomes a war of all against all, right? That when mimetic desire is not checked, um, it, everybody starts to want the same thing and everybody starts to think there is only one of that thing. And so it becomes that there's a limited amount of that thing. And so it becomes a war of all against all, right? Because that's what James says. Where do wars come from? Where do wars come from? I think it comes from inordinate desires or it comes from covetousness. Uh, And uh, when you think there's limited, whatever it is, the thing that you want, there's a limited amount of it. um, It becomes a war of all against all. And he said, and his explanation of how is it that communities then stay together, If communities are going to stay together then um they need a way to let off that steam that that builds in with mimetic desire and the the mechanism that they use is scapegoating they all decide that it's somebody's fault
1: harvey weinstein
0: (laughs) exactly and they all say we'll go after him together oh the me too everybody turns yeah everybody turns on a scapegoat and then uh the peace is restored um through the the um the cleansing uh of uh, of turning your violence onto a scapegoat. So and he tells he shows through history and through literature and through um stories and through myths and all sorts of things, he shows that this is something that people do but it's also something that if we think about just for a minute, it's you, we, we can see that people do this sort of thing. Right. Um, the, the, uh, I I've seen marriages that the only time they get along is during political season. Cause the only thing they agree on is that Democrats are evil. Right. Mm. <laughs> right? Or the only thing they agree on is that, um, that the uh, governor is a moron, right? So whenever he's up for election again, then the marriage gets better because they can, they, they normally they're fighting all the time. And then like, Oh, but the governor's up for vote again, man, we hate him. And they, so they turn their ire on somebody outside and are able to get along for a time. Um, or at least, uh, they're able to stay in one another's company without, um, without, uh, Uh, violence without things without being upset because their ire is turned outward. Their, their internal ire is turned outward, but that's not community, right? Having the same enemy is not the same thing as community. It's a false community um, that is built on a false scapegoat. So Mm. um, you you see this when uh, you see this, in uh that's, a, that's churches, a whole political
1: season that's a cannabis. whole
0: political yeah you see this in politics right it, it it's not effective anymore to put forward a positive vision for your political campaign the only thing that's effective right now is to talk bad about the other person yeah because people don't vote for somebody they always vote against someone right that's the kind of culture that we're that that that's the, the we're rate the the um the war of all against all uh the the violence uh of memet- the the violence caused by unfulfilled memetic desire is growing in our culture right now is not we're not resisting it at all um and so the only thing that we can agree on is certain groups hate that guy certain groups hate that guy do, and then you hate everybody that hates your guy
1: do you think that what has made this be so successful uh, in in a well in in our current time instead of maybe in the past. I mean, we've always had newspapers and we've always had radio and around here, but we have such a faster form for memetic energy to bounce around because of social media platforms. Do you th- you know it has to be that social media platforms they have to thrive off of this, especially like when you think about places like Instagram where it's designed for you to see directly desire the the image in front of you so fast that it gives you you're supposed to have a response to it right
0: right yeah the 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 well the first influencer marketing campaign was in the 1920s right and it was when they were trying to, or it was in the night early 1930s? I think that in the 1920s, they were um, it was considered unfeminine to smoke, yeah, and they wanted to change that. And so, they were trying to make women's cigarettes and different things because they're like, we, if we can only sell to half the company country, then we're stuck. Um, and they had grown the um, the, a, there was a cigarette company that sent um, a pack of cigarettes a week to every single. Uh, soldier in world war one. So they had, they had accomplished um, getting the nation addicted to, or the the men addicted to tobacco addicted to cigarettes, but they were having a hard time getting the women to. And so what they did was they hired a bunch of women in New York uh, to, when they got out of, when they went on their Easter walk to smoke cigarettes uh, in their Easter, in their best Easter dress. Right, so you're coming out of church, and you're in your your best Easter clothing, and the and the the wealthy would walk up and down Sixth uh, Avenue uh, in their best Easter dresses. The Easter parade is before it developed into the East, you know, an, an actual Easter parade. Um, and they uh, hired a bunch of of uh, beautiful women to smoke cigarettes during their parade, and it kicked off what ended up becoming you know the the highest you know by, by the by the 50s, you had the highest number of women smoking um, in the country. Right. So it, it was in influencer marketing, um, which was that's really smart as a marketer to think of it that way. How do I get people to desire the thing that I have? Well, now we are literally surrounded, We we call people influencers. We're surrounded by it on social media. Everybody is trying to become an influencer. That's a, and I, I don't think it's a bad, it's not a bad job to, to have as an influencer, right? Um, the, but it used to be the influencer was considered the, you know, the expert was the one who was supposed to be the influencer. It's like, uh, you know, um, the they they hired some doctors to write letters to as many doctors as they could to convince them that bacon was a healthy breakfast food um and it was the bacon it was you know big bacon i guess you'd call it that that put the money up um to to convince americans that uh that bacon was breakfast food um uh, it, the it, influencer not... marketing is <laughs> no it is okay. it is but we didn't know that, until uh, until they were able to get to be able to say something like five thousand doctors agree, right? Um,
1: five thousand so, paid doctors yeah, agree.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the the way that we, um, the the way that we build and grow our desires is it, it can be manipulated. Uh, um, I just and just say commercials. And, but we everywhere. live in, <laughs> right, but we live in a world of it. We we joyfully choose to be in a world of that of that manipulation, and it's not like we can go someplace where there isn't uh, yeah, something it, trying to get us exactly. or something. But on the on social media, there is there are algorithms. There is an art form to it. They um, I've seen that uh, over and over that they will push things into my feed if there's conflict. And, I, and I'll look at it and be like, I don't know any of these people. I don't know. Why is this being pushed into my feed? Well, it's because people that I'm connected to are connected to the people in this feed and there's conflict. And they think that will keep me on the site longer. Well, I don't, even,
1: I, don't even, I don't even know if they acknowledge or are able to see that it's conflict as much as they're able to see engagement. Right. So, yeah, because that's a
0: good way to put it.
1: They don't know the di- I, I don't I mean, they would care less if it's conflict so long as there is one other person responding back to and the comments are continuing to grow because you get the same thing with people post pictures. So the two like um, most extremes of things that land in my feed are things that just generate a lot of people's attention and it can happen in multiple ways. One of it is conflict. The other one right. is just pure this is getting a lot of attention because you're right their goal is to have you stay on the site and and they're even careful about conflict because they conflict will make people leave at some point right conflict at some point yeah, yeah not enjoy the if they know cuz conflict doesn't have a long as a timeline as joy like they get that that's why pictures of cats and babies and puppies Really do get a lot more uh, attention yeah. in, in our feeds because they know that those are happy uh, moments and experiences, um, you know. And I'm not just saying that's what they—it's all like that. But they—they they will use things that are have conflict. I, I look at X. X is a place that allows conflict at least to happen. A lot of the other social media platforms are trying to get rid of it, you know. But X, is oh. all, you know, X is like, well, yeah. have it, and that's part of the criticism that they're getting. Okay, could you talk about how we start the conversation with people disagreeing um on this movie, how that how mimetic desires play into not allowing someone to enjoy a movie,
0: yeah, so the you have the this guy who's a conservative who's like, "Hey, man, this movie's great, finally something that we should all be able to agree agree on that the new Godzilla is great um and all of the people that are like, no, we are defined as our tribe over here, over against you. So we can't have the same likes. We're defined as the people that like the right things. You like the wrong things on your side. So don't go liking something that we like. That's a threat to our tribal identity right cuz our tribal identity is defined over against you um uh, so if that's the and, if that's and, how we go ahead and we can't have our desires match up so our desires can't match up because we are the people that that desire the right things you're the people that desire the wrong things and that's that's how we justify um treating people in subhuman ways right because they they're not a part of our tribe and we're the tribe we're the we're the people that have uh, it right. We're the people that are the most human. They're less human. They're subhuman, and so we can treat them with violence, right? We can treat them without the uh, we can treat them in coercive and violent ways uh, because they're less human than us because they don't have the right set of likes, the right set of desires, the right uh, tribal markers, whatever it is that our tribe is marked off by, and so that. Th- this conservative guy liking um a a Godzilla movie uh which they were interpreting as um a pro communist movie now i think you can have that debate whether the movie was pro communist or whatever and or if it was pro um because the government the government fails to save everyone and so the people have to come together and uh and Rescue, the, rescue, or defeat the monster without the government's help. What's new? Um, and <laughs> I'm surprised that they well, didn't make the,
1: but- the government the monster.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's what is. Uh, I think there was actually some sort of implication that the uh, that the government was the creator of the monster um that the reason that the monster was created the 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 way the monster was created was through government failure see that's something and so that the we people all know. Without, we all
1: believe that like it left right purple right. green
0: yeah yeah but but that that's where that's why uh when this guy says hey it's something we can all agree on the this group over here that was so upset was it with him was saying like wait are you you're not a communist right you think capitalism is going to save it and we think communism is going to save it and the whole point was well no the people like this guy was like no the people came together and that you know it was like a pro pro community thing was the way he was seeing it they're like no yeah it's this we can't have you we can't have you with us in any way because that might humanize you too much for us to be able to continue being violently opposed to you right so the violent opposition was threatened by shared uh by by wow. a shared desire right and so um the violent the, the opposition
1: way- was threatened and they couldn't have that wow like,
0: yeah and it was it was amazing to to uh watch this conversation happen um and you know, and, and it's because you know, and half, half of the guys on one side I follow because they're conservatives, half of the guys on the other I follow because they're screenwriters, right? <laughs> so, you've got I'm like, these, these are the, the two, you know, the two kind of groups that I run in are they hate each other. I don't know, I don't know, it's <laughs> so strange. Um, but how uh, we live in a world there, oh, so. Um, we live in a world where everybody needs a scapegoat to get along. Now, this is where Gerard becomes really brilliant because he says that um the Tenth commandment, what it actually forget forbids is the idol i turning our neighbor into an idol. Mm. But the 10th commandment for um forbids turning our neighbor into an idol, which means taking our desires that we're supposed to get from God, we take them from our neighbor. So coveting our neighbor's stuff um uh covetousness is is called idolatry by Paul right covetousness which is idolatry paul mm. says um he, he it is be um it's he he explains that it's because we are saying um you know, there's a, a couple of ways one we were saying if i were god i would have given that to me right so the first one is objecting to god's sovereign choice to give your neighbor, that thing instead of you. And then second is because we're supposed to look at God, receive our desires from him. We're told you're in, in my image. And so you should want the things that I, that I want. And instead we want the things that our neighbor wants. So we turn our neighbor into the God of the system, right? The God of the desire system uh through covetousness Um, and, and, uh at any time that idolatry grows like that it's going to end in violence there's there's no uh, there's no road that starts with idolatry that doesn't end with violence um and uh and he said it's either going to be uh violence you know violence of the all against all right or it ends with the violence of the all against one uh with a scapegoat that uh we all declare guilty and so then we all uh push our the the violence that comes from the that that's grown in us because of the idolatrous desires we push that violence towards someone and out of us and in and it, there's a a cleansing effect for the commu- a communal cleansing effect through the scapegoating of someone because yeah. it turns the violence outward uh rather than inward
1: you know the, you're talking about this and i know people would have some objections or whatever I'm. I'm never. I'm. And, and to what I'm about to say, but I was gonna. I want you to think about this while I'm setting this up. But you know, I want. I'm gonna ask you. Where do you see this in Christendom? And I think my first answer is: I see this. This is some of the stuff that I saw happening with. And I know it wasn't perfect, guys. Like I, I get that, but I saw some of this in Mark Driscoll. Like with Driscoll, a lot of people when Driscoll rose, he didn't ask for anybody's permission. Um, he just. Was went to go to a place to try and do some ministry to people who are who don't get churches planted in their community in their environment, and he did it very unorthodox. I'm a Presbyterian. Um, Puritans will have me at their cookouts and barbecue. I'm an, I got an invite to the barbecue for the Puritans. So if you want to know how where I my positions hang out at, it's right there. They're not aligned too much with Driscoll at all. <laughs> you know, but I appreciated what he was doing in his ministry because it was a move of the spirit. There's no question about that. God saved a lot of people by what he was doing. And, and I again, I get it. But most of the dog pile that I saw on Driscoll really didn't have to do with the things that I think they needed to be dealing with that, that were the real problem. It was a way to get rid of him because he was, you know— for whatever reason he was causing a squirmish inside of evangelicalism on orthopraxy right <clears throat> and um and I get it but I I just but it was this weird thing where um people didn't want to really debate him so much as they wanted to throw rocks and kick him out so that he wasn't a useful person in the um evangelical environment anymore you know um right And and so anyway, and I I don't think he did himself any favor, so don't get me to defend him. But I saw I was there in the back rooms and the conversations were going on and it wasn't about his theology. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And and all of a sudden, this is where I really, really, really started to understand something else was going on. And this is making more sense to me now that you explain this was I started to understand that all of my friends who are for a form of independent um, governance of the church, more of a Baptistic structure of the church, and all this like that, all of a sudden it be, they became very Presbyterian, um, and everybody was ready to put together some form of council to make a very clear, very clear declaration about him. And I'm like, we haven't even done that with Joel Osteen. <laughs> Like, you know, we we haven't even everybody will say their stuff. But ain't nobody put together a statement together They're like, hey, let's all sign this and get Joel up out of here. We didn't even do that with TDJs. Everybody's fighting back and forth. I mean, we didn't. It was just weird. It was weird to me. And watching I, and I'm I'm trying to make my point. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just trying to make my point. Watching people intentionally not post shows or engage with thoughts and ideas that Driscoll had that were actually worth dealing with. They moved him almost, and I don't know if mimetic desires do this as they're lashing out in violence. They move him to a very um, defensive position of engagement where he he stopped being like he was where he was just leading, and he became very, very defensive. Um, and I remember one of the things he did that uh, really made people say that's the guy who we thought he was was he went out to Shepherds Conference and was handing out Bibles or, or handing out his book or something like that. At their event, and kind of, kind of, um, you know, trying to provoke. In one sense, I think he was, you know, because n- nobody really wanted to really engage him personally and have a real, you know, public conversation. I think, um, you know, so it, it was just I just saw uh, the whole shift of evangelicalism go to like cut this dude off at the knees, and it doesn't mean that there wasn't didn't need to be some sort of, you know, even church discipline or some sort of counselor, maybe. But we got, we got driscoll like out of all the people right you know what i mean like he's and he's moving people more this direction and part of that young wrestlers and reform movement we got a lot of people in the reformdom because of this guy and and so anyway i just saw i just see that ability to scapegoat And because i was going to ask you like where do we see that in evangelicalism as as somebody who's been in the background of a lot of these places Man, I've seen a few guys scapegoated and I've always wondered what that was and it's been sometimes justified because um their their doctrine, their teaching is odd or you know that people don't really like the way that they're aggressive and Driscoll had all of those elements but the way they dealt with them was just like, man, y'all don't even believe in councils. <laughs> right? Y'all don't even believe right. in presbyteries. But he got to right. go. Yeah, they're,
0: they're but he's got to go and yeah, but so if there's not a if there's not a lynching system prepared they'll build one right that's Ugh. that's what happens and i so I, I Driscoll, i think is a good example because and so here's my experience because i didn't know anything about him cuz i was just reading books <laughs> not not right. new books at the time um but i was planting a church uh when a lot of this started to when the foment began um when the the weeping and the gnashing of teeth started. And so I had people coming and saying, what's your take on Driscoll? What's your take on Driscoll? Well, everything I knew about Driscoll came from a handful of people that had gone through or had known him or had been a part of what he was doing or really liked him. Um, I hadn't ever seen a sermon myself, but I did have after church, uh, people that would come up and say, you know, your ser- your preaching would improve a lot if you listened to Driscoll and copied him. He is a much better preacher than you, right? So I got that enough times to know um, that that must have been happening everywhere, right? Mm. But why aren't you doing it like Driscoll? Why aren't you, you know? Um, yeah, you're in to Northwest
1: that, too, so that's right in the category. Yeah, that it makes yeah sense.
0: yeah yeah. So um, and and in my mind, it's like, well, because I'm not Driscoll, and you know, I I've my um, I I had i'm grateful to have come across the right books to defend against that sort of thing right like james dane's preaching with confidence um you know uh and uh spurgeon's lectures to my students you know that on what is the what's the nature of preaching and uh so so be able to say well i don't have i'm that that's not how it works. It's not a right. mechanistic thing. It's my personality. God got the, the tool that God uses to preach his word is my personality. And so, um, my job is to walk with the spirit and become as good a Christian as I can while I also work on the art of preaching. And right. I don't have to become like somebody else. I don't, it's, it's not a, uh, it, it the, the, it's an imitative art, but it's an imitation of Jesus. Right. right. So, um, you you become a fisher of men by spending time with Jesus and learning how to be a fisher of men. So, but I know that that was happening all over the country. So you have a lot of people that are, wow. that, that, that builds envy um, really easily. Uh, mm. So you've got, I think there's a lot of envy with Driscoll um, and people that would say, I would do so much better if I was famous like that. I can't believe God let that guy be the one. Um, you know, he's the he's wh- was accused of being crass and he was accused of of uh of being um you know, very pushy and you know, all all of that. He was accused of all sorts of things. I don't actually know the details enough to even make a judgment one way or the other i just because it's never been few of us do few
1: of it, few of us actually do you know what <laughs> i mean like i don't yeah that, that's what makes it such right. a
0: problem right exactly but what i do know is um the the number of people that that acted relieved um even all the way down in california that acted really relieved when he stepped down like whew, so, finally, we've saved evangelicalism <laughs> we, now we saved evangelicalism right from but um you know, the but that's not um i mean he he was he he i think he was messing with the mimetic desires of the community but one because he was like, why are you all satisfied with nobody getting saved mm well we've figured out a way to explain that away right of course Mm. we're satisfied with no one getting saved we don't believe people get saved um you that uh so you've got this but um and then also his his multi-site kind of mega church um a lot i think a lot of people started to say man i really want that uh you know they saw what he had and coveted um and then I, th- I I think too, um, you know that that the young restless and reformed group, um, all the old, old rested, re- <laughs> the the old rested and reformed, yeah, um, they didn't want their system, they didn't want the boat rocked, right. They, they, it was a well balanced boat. No, no new people were coming in. Um, and it was a well balanced boat, and and that that was being rocked. And uh, the he, bringing bringing new people into the church always rocks the boat, but that's, that's also God's design. Like, you want the boat rocked on a regular basis because people are getting saved. Um, you know, that that would be a normal thing.
1: It's You know, it's funny you talk about that because there is a tendency to not want sanctification to work in, I think, a community that kind of has uh, a things working, right? When you have um, a flow to things and things are kind of going finally the way that you like them, um, you know, I could even say this in my own family, man, let me tell them myself. When things have gotten to where I've worked out some of the kinks— through the grace of God we've spanked this out and we've got things moving and um and lo and behold here goes a new thing that's on the horizon I'm like wait a second <laughs> I like the way things are running right now yeah things are going really good <laughs> what you mean we got a potty train again we just did this uh, not too long ago. Now we got pee running through all the house, you know, <laughs> like the couch is wet, the floors are wet, <laughs> the, the bed is wet. Like, no, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm so done. Right. But like, but that's a part of growing up. And I think that we tend to think that we've arrived rather than we're progressing. Right. And so this next stage yeah. that we have to go through, and that's something that I've seen being out here in Moscow. I've, this has been amazing I've been here for almost ten nine years nine years close to ten years now and watching people come in and and then cycle out because God is blessed and they go to another place and and but watching this cycle of people come i've re- I've heard or I've watched the sermons on sanctification increase at certain times around certain topics, because they know that we're going to have some of this friction and this bumping into each other. And so I've heard, you know, sermons on how to love your neighbor and what it means to work through things and how the gospel applies to business deals and how the gospel applies when people come over to your house and eat and they don't do the things that they need to do because they don't have the same sort of hospitality and they don't invite you over. And then, and I've heard all these and I'm like, okay, When I see people coming back, we're about to go through another round of sanctification servants, right? And because you're going to have those bumps, you're going to have that rubbing up. And I think it's really easy to not want to have to go through that again. And so when you have evangelicalism that had, you know, it's Mount Rushmore of evangelicalism, you know, that's really set. It's going really good. um, And then the social justice movement comes through and wrecks it all. Right. And I think right. some people have become more upset at the social justice movement because we had things rolling, guys. Things were great. <laughs> but we had fault lines underneath that no one saw until the social justice movement came in and God began to sanctify his church in a in a way that we didn't see. And the same thing with COVID. You know, it's it's amazing to me to watch a lot of people um who did not stand strong during COVID, you know, come out of the woodworks now and act so bold as if, you know, they were standing. And, and But I'm grateful for because I think so much sanctification happened in that time and post that time right. that we're still going through. So anyway, I, I can't remember the question. Oh, yeah, I was asking you, uh, outside of Driscoll, is there any other place that you see, and I'm not thinking of people as much as I'm thinking of what is our mimetic tendencies inside of like the reformed evangelical circles like i i brought up saying, "Hey, we're all together when it comes to this ad, but I know y'all don't agree on hardly anything else
0: right i i mean i I think the or mimetic tendency the the central one that's for reformed people is that we always define ourselves by what we're not mm. we define ourselves over and against other um other christians right our That our distinct, we lead with our distinctives. uh, I think is a a way to put it. It's a a a Girardian temptation. You're not supposed to.
1: I don't think everybody hears that. Like, well, you're supposed
0: to lead with your distinctives. No, you. I I mean, that's that's not what defines our our distinctives. Shouldn't be the thing that define our community. But the distinctives are um, are a negative definition. We're not them. We're not them, we're not them, and we're not them. Right? Here's our we're um we should have a positive definition of who we are, not a uh you know the so You gotta give me that. Um, yeah, give
1: me everything I'm thinking in my head right now, everything in reformed evangelicalism is or even in evangelicalism is um are here, we're pro-life. We're anti-abortion. We're pro-marriage. We're anti-gay. Even the even the positive are framed in a negative,
0: right? Right. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, I, we we don't, and and you can have a community that you know that loves you know loves children, for example, loves babies, loves children. Um, but when you go to to define yourself, say we are. Uh, we are uh, um you know uh, unlike those crazy people over there we're a, a, a anti-abortion you know something like that right um and the you should be opposed to abortion, but you should be a, a fighting uh you the fighting the fights because of the thing you are love that you love that you're defending, right so if you're entering into a fight, it should be because of the things you love behind you. Not because, um, uh, just that you are, you need to justify your own existence. Do you think right? that's not true? out of envy?
1: Do you think that's true about us? That is true about us, but we just have bad messaging.
0: Uh, I think it's a combination of things. Cause like you meet a lot of people, um, you know, it's, uh, I've got friends that are, you know, like just real solid reform Baptists and I've been in their homes and you know, like they just, they love their families. They love their wives. Their kids love the Lord. And, um, and then they get into the pulpit and all of a sudden they're like, let me tell you what's wrong with the Roman Catholics. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like what? You're like, okay, but that it's been a lot. I don't, I don't think that your people are probably tempted to Roman Catholicism. Right. Um, And there's a, there's a a usefulness in teaching of having a foil. Here's somebody, you know, this is the wrong thing, um, but there's a a, a self justifying a commun – We don't. A lot of people don't believe. Don't.
1: I'll say it now. You know, you gotta say it.
0: I know, I know. So communal justification or corporate justification is a real thing, right? So justification means um, declaring that you're in the right. And the word justification, we have taken it and narrowed it down to a single meaning because of a very particular fight that justification is by faith and not works, right? And that's true. That's 100% true. The problem is by focusing all everything on that we we miss out on all the other kinds of justification that there are so um you can have other you can talk about other forms of justification and not be denying justification is by faith alone through Christ alone without you know not according to works to like call that so corporate justification is the way that a community declares itself in the right or shows itself to be in the right. um and uh, uh because we ignore the existence or we don't even know the, that there's that there is this thing called corporate justification that people do all the time we end up making it by wor- making our corporate justification by works. why are we the right church? why when when we say when people say should i come to your church and you say well here's why we're the right church. That's our corporate justification, right? Why are they the wrong church and we're the right church is, um, is scapegoating justification based on them versus us, right? So it's a rivalrous justification. We're right, they're wrong. We do this sort of thing all the time and we don't even notice. In the Bible, justification should always be by faith. Corporate justification should be by faith. Why are we the right church to come to? God has been faithful to keep his promises to us. God God is, here's the promises God has given and we're so grateful that he's given us those promises and we believe them that's just, <laughs> Corporate justification should be by faith. And not by rivalry. Corporate justification should be by faith, and not by envy. And corporate justification should be by faith, and not by works. Um, and, and yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> but Jason,
1: we baptize babies over here, and they don't. So I mean, I'm not, right. I'm just saying though. Like I know it's, we do. It's, it's so easy to slip into. Wait, but that's a real thing. Like, and oh, we do communion every week, and we use real wine.
0: Oh, I know. I wouldn't go to a church that doesn't do weekly communion. I know. I that's <laughs> but <laughs> but you just said I know, I know, but but it's because <laughs> but it's because the promises of God are are renewed. They're sealed. They're the signed. Mm. They're uh, in the in the Lord's Supper. Um, not not renewed in an, in an, uh, renewed personally, right. They're re, uh, resealed in, um, and because I, I think that justification needs to be by faith. I think we need the promises of God given to us week in and week out. And that's what the Lord's supper is. It's the, um, it's the signing and the sealing of the promises of God and the promises of God are that God gives us his very self God God gives himself to us uh as his people, um and that and that he will provide protect and um uh, and be with us to the end, right so uh and the, the and that's what the sacraments are doing. That's what the Lord's Supper is doing. He's feeding us himself uh by the power of the Holy Spirit in a mystery. it's only received by faith, um but it is if we're going to be a church that is, uh where our corporate justification is by faith. I think that, that weekly communion is um the the way that God has given us to do that, right? Now there's another way as well is the declaration of the word. Um yeah um I think there's some other ways as well liturgically and through rituals and rites. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but
1: before you get yourself but, wrapped around in news I'm gonna get myself crucified
0: uh, let me, let me, let me ask Y'all you. Y'all all knew it was coming because oh, hey, I am going to be accused of being a Romanist while declaring justification is by faith. Corporate justification is by faith. I am going to get accused of being a Romanist that says it's by works. That's,
1: how would how would somebody accuse you of being a Romanist?
0: Because I just said that the sacraments are the way that God signs and seals His promises to us. That the sacraments are something that we. Ought to do, um, and I also said the word ritual.
1: Oh, <laughs> I don't, I don't, it doesn't take much, I, right? I, I guess when it comes, I mean, I guess they can find us. I guess if they want to scapegoat you, they can find anything, I guess. So, right, so what, what else is, I don't want to get through, we're kidding our time, but what I don't want to get through anything else missed from Jerome. I don't want to miss anything else from Jerome. What else do we need to make yeah. sure we touch on? Well,
0: so, he, so this, I think the centrally important aspect, right? So the, 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 div- if you can learn to see the mechanism of mimetic desire, right, then you can learn to resist it when you see it working poorly, and you can learn to lean into it when you see it working well, right? So um, the, and one of the things that, that Gerard says, I think that's just the best, the most, you know, one of the Best things he says is he says, When are um that when that Jesus comes, he doesn't come saying, He doesn't come speaking like a guru that says, Imitate my desires. Mm. Right. And and you will be rescued. And he and he gives a bunch of examples of gurus throughout history that come and say, I will give you the desires that you should have. Um, and then you can and that will rescue you. And he says, and then all of those gurus end up leading people to violence. And he gives a bunch of examples. Well, um, the w- he says, Jesus comes saying, I'm here to do the will of my father. Follow me. Imitate me doing the will of my father. Right? So Jesus says, my desires are all from my father. And then he, and then we're called to get our desires from Jesus, right? Follow. So he says it is the proper, we see that it's the restored use or the intended use of the, of mimetic desire. The, in, in, the reason that God built our desires this way is so that we could have a relationship with him, right? So that we could come to him and be formed and filled uh, with the true proper desires. And so the, and, I think the Reformed are the most tempted to Stoicism, which is a denial of desire. Yep. Right? Stoicism says desire is bad. So if I can deny desire um, and uh, irrationally deny my desire, then I have succeeded uh, in doing what I'm supposed to do with desire. But um, the scriptures, and Gerard shows how the scriptures tell us, no, our desires are supposed to be mimetic, but we're supposed to... Mime God, yeah. Right, we come to to God and we receive our desires from uh, what it is that He says is lovely, we and good.
1: That's so good, man. Um, Our we are to desire the good, definite article in front of it, like and the greatest good. And in desiring that, uh, and in desiring God, the good above all goods, um, you start to be able to see how he has blessed you with everything else that you have. Right. Like that's right. This is something that's really been hard for me to maintain. I grew up in a house that if you wasted food in the house, like you pretty much were close to a beaten, like, you know, you don't you don't waste food in this house. <laughs> right. I, I never heard the Maybe I have heard the starving kids in Africa, but that was more like, you don't waste the kind of, cause my dad grew up at his mom died at like 12 or 13. He was out eating food out of dumpsters at that age, you know, trying to fend for himself. And so for him to have food in the house uh, and his mom used to put a padlock on the door of the refrigerator, you know, so he couldn't go in and stuff like that. And so for him to have just food in the house that wasn't restricted uh, was a was a blessing. And he never restricted us from going and grabbing anything in the fridge. We want it. You can definitely go and do that. His problem was you better not waste whatever it is that you go grab. Because we don't deserve to have any of this. And God has given us all this. So you take it and you enjoy it to the very last drop. And if you don't, I will make you eat whatever it is. (laughs) And so I had some tough times at the dining room table with my father. Um, Not because I was giving him the problem. Uh, He was giving me the the problem. (laughs) You're going to eat this food. But what it turned into, though, was um, the wrong attitude to how God kind of does things in the world. Where instead of seeing the overabundance of God's blessing, which is what my dad was trying to do, I saw a uh, that it was it was a uh, oh God you gave me too much if I threw it away God you gave me too much and I wasted I'm sorry right and I didn't get a creational look at this where God has trees and waters and plants and and the whole world is designed of an abundance and overflow of fruits that are falling to the ground <laughs> right right and that are that no one is eating and he, he's happy with them just being there and at some point because but it falls to the ground they become part of the soil they go back into the tree and he's got this whole love instead of seeing ways to take the blessings of god and just throw them to the trash can and act like they ain't nothing like I, I, I think my dad was right to see that he didn't show how to take him the blessings of god hey let's have a puppy and let's give this food to the dog and make him a special meal or let's take him compost this or it was just like, you're being ungrateful. It's like, well, no, I'm just full. (laughs) And, 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 and instead of having a a total view of God in his world, I had a very limited one that has, that I've, you know, worked through that whole time. And so I can't even believe, I can't even remember why I'm bringing that. I think I'm just venting on like my childhood and, like complications with that, but oh yeah, and seeing the world as an overabundance, uh, seeing the world as being extremely fruitful, and God isn't God is God has a plan for how that abundance overflows into society, right? So that you learn to operate like that, you know, um,
0: right? Well, and, and yeah, and so that the that the. Mimetic desire when it is imitating God. Oh, that's what um, it was.
1: Yes. Yes. Doesn't
0: end up with a limited
1: view yes. because
0: there the overabundance is a part of the way God built the world so that we don't have to covet. Right. right. The coveting never becomes necessary uh in the way God built and intended the world. So um yeah, and I think that that I think is helpful. A really helpful thing that Gerard shows is it's the answer to Stoicism that a lot of um, reform folks, I think we need. I think we need help getting rid of our Stoicism that thinks the solution to um, desiring the wrong thing is to not desire.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So, yeah. Um, so, so that's really good. And then the other thing that oh, go ahead. And I'm, then. I guess I was going to ask. One other you, thing does,
1: yeah, go ahead and do your other thing, and then you can answer this and that. Which is, how do we check our mimetic desires? You know, that's one of the things yeah. you talked about earlier. I really want to hit on.
0: Yeah. So the but the other thing that he in the scapegoating mechanism. This is how he became a Christian because he was studying the scapegoating mechanism of mythology and, um, and ancient literature, and he'd never read the Bible, and then um he was told, or he he just said well i I should I'm gonna go read the Bible and figure out that you know and just show that it's just like every other ancient literature, so he picks up the book of Job and the book of Job floors him because it's a a it's a complete um reversal and resistance to the scapegoating mechanism mm. right so they everybody keeps trying to scapegoat job just admit you did something wrong.
1: Right. Admit you did
0: something wrong. They they're trying they're trying to get him to self con, to confess that he did something wrong so that they can blame all this stuff that's happening on him. And he keeps saying I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Then God shows up and justifies Job. He didn't do anything wrong. Mm. Right. <laughs> they and and it says in it it it's like throwing um, a uh, uh, you, like you've got a, a a stump grinder, and you throw a a, a a dishwasher into it, right? And it just destroys the the stump grinder, right? It's <laughs> and, and it stops the whole system. He he shows up that job, job. He, he said um, it it was the anti scapegoating mechanism the ref- that when that when you try to scapegoat an innocent person and the innocent person refuses to admit to confess guilt it reveals the scapegoating mechanism mm. and so he said the book of job was unlike any other ancient literature he'd ever read and so then he said i got to read the rest of this thing and he sh- and he goes he went through the whole bible and showing that um, or and seeing that refute that there's this refusal um to allow the scapegoating mechanism to to re- work right that people are constantly trying to scapegoat and the um but all throughout god thwarts the scapegoating mechanism of all throughout the old testament he said and then he got to the gospels and it was it's the um full complete revelation of the scapegoating mechanism put on display because mm. jesus as the innocent one ref retains his innocence um tries to or c- continue res- uh he retains his innocence then he um confesses his innocence before the scapegoating mechanism they're they're the crowd is given the opportunity to deny the scapegoating mechanism because they're given the choice between a guilty person and an innocent person. They choose the innocent person and it breaks forever. This usefulness of the scapegoating mechanism because it brings it out into the light and says, see the scapegoating mechanism is a lie is not based on the truth. And so he ends up becoming a Christian, um, you know, through his, literary studies, uh, on scapegoating. And what is amazing is he he says that because of sin and because, because we're a fallen race, um, we can't live without scape a scapegoat. There can't be community without a scapegoat because violence is actually, um, our, you know, small and nature, natural, uh, Way of existing, right? Um, so every community will break down into violence unless there is a scapegoat. Um, what happens with Jesus is you uh, when when a community focuses on Jesus as the scapegoat, it undoes the scapegoating mechanism, so that you don't need to come back and get another one, right? So unlike uh, other communities that need to keep renewing their communal life through another scapegoat and another scapegoat and another scapegoat when Jesus is the scapegoat, because he is the risen scapegoat, right? Uh, because he's the once and for all scapegoat, you can have a communal life that, uh, that doesn't rest on violence, that doesn't rest on coercion and doesn't need a a coercive violence to hold it together. So you can have what turns out to be real community. So, um, What what you have without Jesus is people that have figured out how to get along through mutual hatred, right? And so then that uh, that creates space to love one another, but you have to continue renewing that space through mutual hatred and violence. Another scapegoat. Another scapegoat, right? Yeah, another scapegoat, another scapegoat. Whereas Jesus comes along and gives us the once and for all scapegoat. That you can go back to again, so that when somebody does something to you, you say, "Well, I don't need another scapegoat because Jesus is still risen."
1: Mm.
0: Right. So you did something to me, but I can actually just forgive you. I don't need. Do Christians know uh, about this? Do Christians? (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's it's this amazing, and it's one of those things where um, there there were people that were saying uh, that you that the next era is going to be the era of gerard like during his day they it was so revelatory that they were saying this is this is going to you know a whole new era of society you know the next millennia will be the millennia of gerard and all of this Uh, but then everybody was like no we don't want to see the same we want the scapegoat mechanism to stay invisible it's not comfortable um to have your your desire your mimet your desire is revealed to be mimetic, right that stuff is stuff we want to we want to keep it in the shadows we want to keep it in the dark um because it's too uh it's too painful to reveal um th- th- and and it's too it's too painful to admit um that i've you know that i'm ha- that uh, the the life that I want depends on violence against someone. I mean, it, this it's amazing how much of the the rhetoric for why we need abortion is scapegoating rhetoric, right? What why is it? How is it that we justify the killing of a child? Well, the um, this girl's life and economic prosperity and all of this, unless we, it is going to be destroyed. How? Right? Um, and so we justify the violence against the child based on a uh, scapegoating mechanism, right? The, based on her ability to stay a part of the economic community, to be a part of the economic community. Um, and, uh, you know, it's somebody, some, sometimes, you know, it's, and people will say it's sad, but, you know, it's, it's her life or the baby's life, right? Somebody's like, got to die. But that's not the, somebody's got to die. Yeah. And, the, and That is, there's a truth to that, right? But that's always the case. It's not just in those situations. We're all somebody, but because who, because Jesus died for us, right now, when we follow him, we can die to ourselves knowing that there's resurrection on the other side of it. So yes, somebody's got to die. This woman's dreams might have to die, but there's some, there's a resurrection because Jesus is the scapegoat the scapegoat of all of it. We don't need another scapegoat. And there's a resurrection on the other side of every time we die to ourselves and look to Jesus, right? Look at this in, and trust the scapegoating death of Jesus. There's all there's resurrection when we die to ourselves there. Jason, how does it so how does um well, yeah go ahead.
1: I, I never where did you want to finish it?
0: Well I was just gonna say it, the problem is it's it's an un it's uncomfortable because you have to look through our own um depravity to see it like one of the lenses that you have to hold up is your own depravity right that you that that you can't save yourself that you can't rescue yourself you have to be honest with your own depravity to be able to look clearly at mimetic desire at uh, and its destructiveness at the scapegoating mechanism and at the other thing that he talks about is corporate is mimetic contagion um that when when the the way um the way violent desires spread amongst the community he is is the other thing that he that's really i think an important thing to talk to look at but we don't have time but um you have to you have to admit your own depravity for any of it to be of use and that's really uncomfortable. Yeah, pulling the, the own being from your own eye. Mhm. All of a sudden you have to start to say like, ooh, I am easily tempted to envy. Mm. Right. I'm e- easily tempted to envy. Right? That that envy is always right there on the surface. Right? He he says covetousness, one of the things he he says is even our bible translators are uncomfortable with it because the word for want and covet are the same in hebrew and in greek and we we translate them as two different things because we don't want to admit that our desires are so corrupt that there's an entire commandment that just says and look out for your desires your your desires are so easily influenced by envy that you look out right <laughs> thou shalt not want what your neighbor has, right? Like we we say thou shalt not covet, because that separates our normal desires from covetous desires. But he says your normal desires are so easily influenced by your own depravity that um and I think that's the reason that we don't that we don't really want to dig in, is because I think we have to admit we're really, really fallen. Our desires are really, really easily corrupted um they're they're corrupt and corruptible and easily corrupted and that um and that we have to continually keep a uh keep a check on it um and you know and just start to learn to doubt ourselves and you know all of that so i i um you know my wife and i have found it really helpful in lots of ways to to uh keep Keep just you know to discuss mimetic desire, scapegoating, and you know, and, and keep an eye out for it, and um, and uh, uh, but it's you you have to just really start to have a much lower view of yourself, but it gives you a really high view of God's grace because you start to say like, "Dang, I'm like a, I'm I'm like a snake all the time, just." Uh, there's this, there's this, there's a dragon that just lives in the left ventricle of my heart. Who's always like ready to spit poison. Um, and if to keep looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus over and over and over. So I think that's one of the reasons that Gerard hasn't become popular. And he's got some, unor- some unorthodox uh, views as well that, you know, cause he, he believes that um, he doesn't believe Satan is personal. But he believes that possession by Satan is real. But Satan is, yeah. So it's a very odd, he's got an odd view on Satan. Um and he, he yeah, so there's he's he's got some unorthodoxies in there as well. Um, but he's this he the stuff that he gets right is so helpful. Um <clears throat> And you can, and he just he he loves the Lord. Like there's no doubt about that. He's trying to work through, um, you know, in a comparative religions way. He's trying to work through some of the things um, to show the superiority of of the Bible to all other literature. Um, and I think that that sometimes causes him to say, "Let's make a comparison here that maybe is not a, the right comparison." And so, but he's not doing theology. It's all comparative literature. So,
1: all right, we got to end. Um, <laughs> and right when I was about yeah. to ask you the question of like, how does mimetic desires work in stuff like Guy Benson and and supposed um, person that they says he's married to, at adopting a child? For, um, I, yeah.
0: Oh, oh, you want to know why homosexuality comes to the top when the violence uh, of mimetic desire right goes up? Cause that's, is that what you mean? Cause yeah. that is, yeah. So, um, cause, so it, and this happens every time throughout history, right? One of the things that happens is as mimetic desire, um, gets as a mimetic contagion, which is the desire for violence, um, begins to, to spread through a community. Homosexuality always like bubbles right to the top mm. right? every time throughout yeah. history. And, um, the reason is because marriage requires us to conform our desires to someone who's different than us, a a woman's, uh, uh, desires things in a different way than men do. They've got different, uh, val- you know, they value different things. And, and in marriage, the, my desires have to conform, um, to someone who's very different than me, right? So my wife, what she values, and when we first got married, it's like, I don't even understand what is going on, right? But over time, um, as the communion and fellowship between us grows, my desires shift and change and have to take on a particular shape to fit her desires and my desires together into the family desires, right? So that that requires me to adjust, uh, me to to put down some of my m- mimetic desires, uh, to, to put down some of the things that I want to serve her. Right. So for my, my desires to, and her, she has to do the same thing. She, uh, there are things that she, um, uh, wants that she has to shift in, in such a way that our, our desires as a, uh, can fit together into a communal desire and be become more and more and more of a family as we live together. Uh, we we're officially a family, and then we're also growing into a family all at once. So in gay marriage, you have the same sets of desires. so no one has to set the set them aside. So in a gay relationships, you don't have uh, you don't have to set aside your um, you, you don't have to adjust your mimesis at all because you want the same things you want the same things in the same way and so there isn't a laying down of self uh required in the same sort of way and um the so it doesn't have a way uh, of diffusing and limiting violence the way a man and woman relationship does right um you go off and you have, you know, you're, you go off to work and there's something hard at work and you get, and it's difficult and you come home and, um, you walk in and you can't treat your wife the same way you treat a male co worker or it goes wrong. And so you have to say, oh, wait, okay, now I'm home. I got to adjust. I've got to set down the, the rivalry from work, leave it there and, and then come in and, and pick up the shape, the, the desires that are shaped in such a way that they fit together with a woman's desires right you have to make those adjustments and it diffuses the uh it diffuses the violent contagion uh that mimetic desires can cause right it diffuses it because um it you w- if you spend your time in rivalry with your wife it's awful right so um the and, but and sometimes you know if you do have the rivalry between you know a husband and a wife that become rivals it can become really really destructive really quickly right Uh, but you have to set aside those rivalries in order to be a husband in order to be a wife and that uh uh, that diffuses a lot and that's a god designed way to diffuse a lot of the mimetic violence uh that comes just from normal day in day out life gay marriage hat does does not have that effect and so it rises to the top and becomes the ideal in a, in a society that has given itself over to the contagion of mimetic violence.